Well, hello, my friends. It's Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to The Daily Evolver. It's Monday, February 5th, 2018, and I am happy to be here with you. Uh, Today, I wanted to look at um, the state of one of America's great institutions, as um, yesterday was its great secular holiday, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday. And of course, this, for the rest of you in the rest of the world, is the uh, great championship, the big championship of the American Football Leagues. And we had the uh, Philadelphia Eagles winning over the New England Patriots, which I think made most people happy because we're tired of the Patriots winning. And we're tired of everything going Tom Brady's way. And he's too cute. And, you know, it, he's got everything. And it needs, he needs to have a little comeuppance. So we all felt better about that, except for the New England fans, of course. Uh, I am no great uh, football fan. Uh, I'm the fairest of fair weather fans. I watch occasionally if the Broncos are winning. And, um, and I watch the Super Bowl because I feel like I have to. And I went to a Super Bowl party with a small group of friends. We had a, a nice dinner. And none of us really cared that much. We didn't have that much riding on it. And um, actually, when I think about it, we actually shushed each other for the commercials uh, because in the Super Bowl, the commercials are as much of a cultural event as the game itself. And um, I didn't remember any of the commercials. I'll get into the football in a minute, but there there really is. The the commercials are fun. None of them really beat my all-time favorite Super Bowl commercial, which I'm going to play for you now. It's just a 30-second commercial. Uh, And it's from 2012. And it is, um, it's it's an ad for Doritos, TV ad for Doritos. And this was when Doritos was doing a, um, hang on here. I'm going to put it in the full screen. This is when Doritos was, I did a a challenge where you could make your own Doritos commercial. And and so this guy made this Doritos commercial and it is hysterical. It's this young 20 something guy. And, um, and he's in this like cheesy kitchen, uh, sort of laboratory cheesy kitchen with these paper lanterns. I know some of you are listening to this on a podcast, so you won't be able to see it, but you'll still get it. And there's like Christmas lights and everything around. And his goal is to make Doritos at home. So, Here is the ad. Everyone loves Doritos, right? Well, today I'm gonna show you how to make your own. Okay, to save time, I've already gathered the ingredients. Now, of course, the hardest part about this is gonna be finding a unicorn and then making it cry. If you guys are gonna be making Cool Ranch, you wanna go ahead and add two dashes of an autumn breeze and half a horse's whinny. And we are done. It's time for us to enjoy our delicious Dorito. I made gold again! What am I going to do with all this gold? <laughs> and that is, uh, that's a funny one. That is, um, you know, he was, he didn't want to make any more of those cheesy gold coins. He wanted to make Doritos. Uh, and I thought that was funny. Anyway, when it comes to the game itself, um, you know, it's not like I'm the only one losing interest. Uh, it, it, it's uh, the, the football in general is really on the decline, American football. And um, yesterday was the lowest rated uh, 
Super Bowl at eight years, and it's been decreasing. The ratings have been decreasing for eight years. It's still the most watched sports event. It's still, you know, a secular holiday. There's still, you know, twenty and $30,000 tickets. But if you look at particularly the downstream of football, the high school and, and, and the, um, um, take a look here. There we go. If you look at the high school and, and grade school uh, football, it's, it, the attendance is down, participation is down, and, um, and, and parents really don't want their kids to be playing football like they did before. Uh, when I was a kid, football was just unquestionably the sport that if you were a certain kind of boy, you would play. It wasn't me. It wasn't my kind of boy. But for, you know, most boys, it was. But the problem is, is that we have come to realize how uh, destructive football is to the players. And there is a, a great arising of understanding about this condition called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is basically the result, it turns out, in some forms of Parkinson's and dementia and so forth, and, 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 and all sorts of emotional problems that happen to people who have uh, a series of concussions. And so, you know, like most people, yesterday, I woke up with uh, the New York Times, hang on one second here, uh, and the, in the cover of the review section, this is Super Bowl Sunday, and it's, of course, under the interview with Uma Thurman. Uh, but <laughs> in the bottom headline, it's an article by a woman, Emily Kelly, who is the wife of Rob Kelly, who is a football player, who uh, retired at 28. And for the last 13 years, he's been uh, degenerating with this CTE uh, condition. And, um, and she wrote, it's a, it's a beautiful article. She gets a full page on the inside, too. And um, he played for 20 years. Uh, he retired at 28. Uh, he played all through grade school and high school and professionally. He played for the Patriots, actually. He played mainly for the Saints. But as she writes here, he went from being a devoted and loving father and husband to somebody who felt like a ghost at our home. For a couple of months, one winter, when he was so depressed and detached, he couldn't muster up the energy to speak. My questions went unanswered until I simply stopped asking them. The silence was unnerving. And she goes and, you know, just details the degeneration of this young man. He's only 20, 43 years old now. And at the end, her last paragraph, she writes, you know, people see these videos of, the, of these traumatic brain injuries and so forth, and they think, uh, you know, these football players knew what they signed up for. Uh, everybody knows that football is bad for your health, but everybody does it anyway. And she says that doesn't really hold anymore because we really didn't know. He didn't know. And she ends with this last paragraph, I think is very poignant. She said, when all those big hits happened and the fans cheered, did they cheer despite knowing a man just greatly increased his risk for dementia? Was anyone worried about an ALS diagnosis or a CTE-related suicide at 40 after their favorite player suffered repeated blows to the head on the field? No, they cheered and they celebrated because they didn't know. And neither did we. And she's talking about her and her husband. And I think that's really a powerful statement. And it, it again gets to this um, nature of emergence 
that I talk about regularly on the Daily Evolver here. And that is that the more we see, the more we care. And, and, and the process of evolution is the process of actually broadening our view and including more in it, you know, so that we can see this infinitely complex matrix of cause and effect of karma, actually. And we can see that, you know, these, this amazing, beautiful, in some ways, game of football causes these um, effects. And there is a movie that has gone viral in the last, you know, few weeks, I guess, called Concussion Protocol. And it's a movie of every concussion that occurred in the NFL this year. And I just want to play a bit of it for you. It goes on for quite a while, but it is, um, you know, it's something that you can't unsee. And, and, and this is, again, the nature of emergence. So let me play it here. I'll play about a minute of it. You know, as I said, you can't unsee that. And um, <clears throat> the realization of the karma, of the cause and effect, is becomes where you just stop wanting to see. It's, it really support that kind of thing. And um, I mentioned that the fall off in football participation, here's a slide that shows the um, decline in football participation in 87 suburban high schools in the Chicago area. And Chicago is football country, fo football central. And it shows that since 2008, so less than 10 years, that participation has decreased 18.7%. And that is um, you know, not a trend that football lovers really wanna see. Uh, it's the nature of sport in a way. I mean, one of the things that we can realize about uh, sports and 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 we sort of put this in a context of integral theory is that sports you know we often talk about the red stage of development which is the stage of power and um, and, and competition and and a lot of violence historically that's true it's also true in our individual development when we go through the sort of terrible twos that sort of have another stage of it come on in our early teens 
And it can be, you know, that it's, it's egocentric. It's, 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 it's about power and force and domination, and all of hierarchy and all of that thing, all of that stuff. And, and mostly we see red in terms of its negativity, but it's also the source of, uh, of power, you know, and excitement and competition in a good sense. And one of the things that um, we see is that sports is the, 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 it is red civilized into our society. So it's sports are actually the healthy red um, aspect of our society. And it's a big, big part of society. Uh, if we look at it historically, now there's a red sport that happens in red stages of development. Like if you think back in the, the games, if you will, at the Colosseum in Rome, and these are blood sports. And in red stages of development, this is actually what uh, sport is. You know, it's, it, it, in a sense, it's torture as entertainment. Uh, you're playing some sort of game with your enemy where they're destined to lose in the case of the Colosseum in Rome. Uh, or, uh, you know, if it's more tribal or clannish, you're playing soccer with your enemy's head. This was a popular game around the world. Or uh, the head of a goat. Uh, that's progress. That's evolution. We do a head of a goat instead of a human being. And that's still done. They play that game in Afghanistan. And then it's a ball. You know, it's, it turns into polo or soccer. And that's the sort of evolution of, in the civilization of sport through the years. But it's still that red, you know, domination, competition, winner and loser thing. And um, if we look at red sport today, um, there, you know, there, we, we, we still have... Um, well, we've outlawed blood sports in the sense that, you know, we don't fight to the death. I mean, nothing near like that. Uh, we don't even allow that with animals. Uh, dog fighting, chicken fighting, um, bull fighting, you know, all of that stuff, except for very, very small pockets in the world. Uh, that's, that is, you know, coming to an end, it, it comes to an end in modernity as it starts becoming more and more repulsive. And there's a lot of people who still see the beauty in that. I mean, I, I think when I, of when I was a kid, my uncle John fought chickens and he had this big chicken coop in his backyard with these chickens that he was, you know, crazy about. It was his big uh, passion and he bred them and he would say that they love to fight. And they would put razor blades on their, uh, 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 their claws in order to make it not go on too terribly long. And, and he was right. They did love it in their own way. This is part of our animal nature. Uh, and in, in this is sort of the conservative blowback against becoming too sensitive to the actual uh, dangers of sport. And that there's a feminization of society that's happening. This is the critique of that. In Spain, there's still this argument for this nobility of bullfighting, uh, where this you know man versus beast, and there's something that's deep in the human psyche that wants to feel that and see that, you know, until you don't, until it's more repulsive than it is entertaining and. You know, part of that is seeing the effects. I mean, is there anything more sad than the, seeing Muhammad Ali in his later years? 
seeing him light the torch in the, I think it was the 96 Olympics, where he was frozen by Parkinson, except for the tremors, and he could barely light the torch, the Olympic torch. And then he, again, he was at the, at the Olympics, I think, in 2012, and at that point, he, they basically carried him around. I mean, he was just incapable of doing anything. And, you know, and people say, and when, of course, when he died, all of these amazing eulogies about how beautiful he was as a fighter, and you should have seen him in his day, and he was poetry in motion, and he floated like a butterfly and stung like a bee. Uh, and, you know, we sort of have to contend with that. And there's actually a lesson that we can use from, the, it actually is pre-read, it's, it's into the magenta and tribal stage of development where there's not really, um, you know, elaborate sports. There's all sorts of feats of endurance in tribal societies. And I'm talking the early tribal societies. Uh, you know, I think of the Pawnees, which I'm sort of a hobby of studying in the, uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the States and the, the Indians. And, you know, they would do, um, you know, all sorts of, again, feats of endurance, running, uh, lifting, uh, jumping. Uh, they would have superficial wounds. They would do branding and scarring, but they didn't really get hurt much. And I, I was reading about how they would, you know, they, they would ride these ponies, the Comanches particularly, would ride these ponies uh, where they would be like one with a pony. They were known for their amazing uh, ability with these horses. And they rarely got hurt. Uh, they, they were very violent in their inter tribal uh, sport, which was warfare. Uh, you know, that's how they related to other tribes. But within the tribe, violence was actually low. And often if there was conflict, even among warriors or alpha males within the tribe, that they would have these highly stylized fights that um, where one would win and one would lose, but they wouldn't, and it would look really violent, but it didn't really, you know, they weren't injured because it doesn't make sense to injure your warriors for this. So they had ways of dealing with that. And we do too. And this is the evolution of sport uh, where we have sports that are, you know, we have hockey, which accommodates a lot of violence, but it still has its rules. It has its protections. It's along the lines of football, very physical in that way. Um, I don't think it has, the, uh, the, the injury that football does, but I may be wrong, right? but at any rate, it's not nearly as in, uh, in the air as, it, as the football injuries are. But then we have, you know, the continued evolution of sport, where we move into sport that has been um, civilized by amber or traditionalism, uh, where we get baseball, and baseball sort of has that Americana feel to it. And, and there's not a lot of contact. It's, and when it is, it's incidental to the game. The game is slow and civilized and about skill and teamwork. And tennis, uh, individual sport, but still no violence. You're, you're basically, you're, you're on the other side of a, of a, of a barrier from your opponent. Uh, <laughs> of course, then we get to golf. <laughs> is golf even a sport in this sense? Yeah, of course, skill and, and stamina and, and all of that. But in terms of, um, you know, physical competition, yes, but not like these earlier sports. So you have, 
you know, the civilization of sport that happens. And, and then you have the orange uh, dimension of sport, which is the, basically the monetizing of it, the corporatizing of sport and these big modern systems of delivering sport to the masses. So these big sports franchises, like what we saw yesterday is a perfect example of it. These huge indoor stadiums are amazing, these stadiums in, in these cities. These big media contracts, these big paydays for these players. Um, the, the 32nd spot that I showed you, uh, today that is $5 million. Uh, yesterday, that was $5 million for a, a 30 second spot. So we could see this sort of, uh, you know, uh, evolution of sport through the spiral of development. And then we get to green. <laughs> and we have to wonder what's green sport? Because green really basically doesn't really like competition. And if, if they do, it's the kind of thing where everybody gets a participation trophy. You know, there's a whole big sort of blowback about that. And, and again, the feminization of society and we should let boys be boys. That's the critique of this green thing where everybody plays and nobody loses. Uh, but there's actually other ways of looking at green sport, too. Uh, I was just sort of casting about on the internet, and I saw this um, essay written by this uh, graduate student, Gunnar Breivik, and I don't really know him, uh, but it was interesting. He was talking about how one of the ways that we could look at postmodern sport or green sport is that it's an, uh, he, he uses the, the big category of adventure sport. So these extreme sports, X sports, uh, mountain biking, mountain climbing, marathons. Uh, my nephew is into this thing called Tough Mudders, where they, he goes all over the country and does these marine style obstacle courses. And so you're competing with yourself. You're out in the world and it's very um, low tech for the most part. Uh, so he, here's what he writes. He says, the concept adventure sport is used in a wide sense covering sports that are labeled alternative, extreme, X sports, gravity sports, lifestyle sports, and action sports. Adventure sports have things to offer that are difficult to find in other sports, like strong sensation. And I thought that was interesting because green goes for sensation and experience. Uh, they represent an opposition and protest against aspects of modernity and modern societies. But they could also be said to express key ideas of modernity and post-modernity, such as individualism, technology, uh, in, you know, technology, even if it's a low-tech sport like mountain climbing, there's also still all kinds of technology. And then, and then I love these last two qualities, self-realization and transcendence. And, you know, that's getting into what we might say is an integration of sports. Uh, and, uh, and I don't exactly know what integral sports looks like, but there's probably something like this as we move forward into, uh, you know, what is the future of sport? Uh, I think we'll also want to bring in some um, of the tribal initiation into sport uh, so that, People can feel themselves achieve and, you know, go up against these obstacles and overcome them and, um, you know, and grow in that process. And that's a lot of that sort of, you know, initiation, which is the real specialty of, 
of modernity and, and even the red stage of development is marginalized and lost in, in, uh, as we move into traditionalism and, and modernity. And that, I think, is to be brought back. And then there's the um, case of soccer, which I think there's an argument to be made that it is also a world sport in that, or a, a green sport in the sense that it is a world sport. It is a world-centric sport. It's an international sport. And soccer uh, integrates uh, the red altitude impulse to fight and win. It's civilized by amber rules, so traditional rules. Uh, it's produced by orange business, and it expresses this world cultural identity. And as a result, a lot of conservatives in the United States poo-poo it, don't really like it because uh, it's un-American. Uh, the, the other thing about soccer that I think is interesting and has a green quality to it is, is that it has this strange sensitivity, uh, this theatrical thing where these players will get bumped and they'll throw themselves to the ground and roll about in pain and hold their heads and it's all just theatrics. And it's sort of the opposite of what we expect from our American football players, which is when they actually really get hurt and pretend that nothing has happened. So it's a little bit of a different thing. And, and, and it sort of expresses this sort of sensitivity, this, these theatrics. And I, I love what Rachel Maddow said about it. She said that soccer is the only, uh, or, 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 what she said is, she was talking about the theatrics of soccer. And she says, in, ter in terms of America, the only arena where Americans feign injury in order to manipulate the game is politics. And I thought that was pretty funny. The only arena where Americans feign injury in order to manipulate the game is politics. So anyway, uh, so we're not there yet with soccer. We Americans are sort of resisting that. And, and I love what uh, Alexandra Petrie wrote in the Washington Post. She's a humor columnist. And, uh, and she wrote, the World Cup, and she's talking about the World Cup as the big soccer uh, uh, competition. The World Cup is explicitly un-American since it has the word world in it and we have zero chance of winning. If I wanted to spend 90 minutes watching foreigners beating us up embarrassingly, I would just leaf very slowly through our stu students' international math and science test results. If I wanted to spend 90 minutes watching foreigners beating us up embarrassingly, I would just leave very slowly through our students' international math and science test results. That's brutal, but funny. So, you know, football is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. There's, you know, new technology coming on to try to make it safer with uh, better helmets. And, and, and I'm sure some of the rules will change to make it as safe as they can. And, and it'll probably to the degree that you know, it can only make it so safe when you have 300 plus pound players, you know, running into each other like minivans, you know. Uh, but uh, the NFL has admitted culpability now. They've set up a, a billion-dollar fund for players who are injured. Uh, but I think we're seeing the end of football, or at least the beginning, uh, and maybe even the middle of the end of football. So I think I'll leave it there today. Uh, thank you for listening. I always love hearing from you. Uh, if you want to send me a question or a comment or argue with me, 
Uh, you can do that at jeff at dailyevolver.com. You can send me an email or you can send me a voicemail. 